Hey there, this is Tom from Moore's Law is Dead. I'm actually doing a quick little PSA in the beginning for two reasons. Number one, Max had a couple of audio issues. I'm pretty sure that Gerard's going to get it all worked out and it'll sound perfectly fine. But I just want to give you a heads up that the exact sound of his or my voice might change a little bit, but you should hear us. Again, absolutely fine. Anyone who remembers the Hardware Unboxed episode with Steve will know what I'm what I'm referencing. It's like, you'll just kind of, it'll sound like ultra clear and it'll just kind of start sounding like a, a good phone call. It won't sound, it won't be hard to understand us at all. So I just want to give you that heads up right away. But then I, I also just, I have to touch on it. Uh, I was going to with Max, but honestly, we had so much fun talking about overclocking that we never got to it. And let's just leave it that way there, you know? So if you want to skip what I'm about to say, you know, you can skip ahead. There's timestamps as always, but if not, I, I just have to acknowledge it because I feel like it would be incredibly weird if I didn't. You know, I'm from Minnesota. Dan is from Minnesota. Our family's from Minnesota. I, I am aware of what's going on in Minneapolis and, well, all over the country and all over the world. And I, I, I don't have much else to say besides... Things are crazy, and I recognize that right now. And there's a lot of people hurting in all parts of the world. And it's very real everywhere, I think, right now. I'll speak for myself in Peoria. I may end up putting this in part of a video later in the week, but it's very real here in Peoria as well. It's certainly nothing like, as far as I can tell, at least yet, like Minneapolis or St. Louis or, you know, insert other city that's on fire right now. but. You know, I, I I did some little, maybe you call it investigatory journalism of myself. And while I didn't participate in any any protests, I did look around parts of the city at night, uh, the night before recording this. And yeah, I saw armed people with guns patrolling around their stores, uh, stores where we used to get brunch. So no no one needs to tell me how hard it is to not look at the news right now because it's outside my it's outside my goddamn door guys that's why i don't talk about it in my main videos and podcasts again i might actually touch on it in a video but it's because i think you should come here to not have to think about the shit going on outside and, that, and that's what broken silicon is for i like speculating i like talking about tech and that's what you're about to hear but i do acknowledge i do acknowledge what's going on out there and well that's all I have to say. I acknowledge it. And I hope you enjoy the episode. The following podcast is brought to you by cdkoffers.com. Use offer code BrokenSilicon for 25% off Windows codes and Die Shrink for 3% off all other codes. Links in the description and I will say more later. But for now, let's get to the show. Welcome to Broken Silicon, a PC hardware and gaming podcast. I am your host, Tom, and today I am joined. Well, I'll let you introduce yourself. Well, I'm Max. Mostly know me by that name or harder numbers. That is my channel name. 
Um, well, I'm an overclocker that decided one day, two years ago, to open um, a YouTube channel and to show the the madness that I do here in my dungeon. At least is what I like to call it, since uh, I do extreme overclocking, some World of Warcraft play, and you know, test and crazy stuff. Yeah, I mean, I discovered your channel specifically because of the video you did 3800X versus 9900K, both at five gigahertz. And one thing I really like about a lot of your tests is how you do some pretty extreme cooling. And then, you know, it's something I've been frustrated with for a long time that's starting to not be as much of an issue. But I remember when I first got like super, super into PC hardware and overclocking, like specifically I remember a 290X graphics card and, you know, they overclocked it from like one to uh, like one gigahertz to two gigahertz or something with sub-zero cooling. And then they just do a GPU Z validation and they're like, we did it. And I would always just go, it's like, well, okay. I mean, I guess you pressed an on button, but for God's sakes, can someone take these hyper overclocked cards or processors? And actually show us like how good would a 290X at 2 gigahertz be or a 980 Ti at 3 gigahertz be if we, if we could do that and actually play games. And it seems like all of your testing seems to actually, for the most part, revolve around actually confirming what it would do. And you found a lot of interesting weaknesses or benefits in architectures at weird clock speeds. Yes, I think... Uh... Well, I do a competitive extreme overclocking. So, you know, harder bot, we go there, we compete each other with synthetic mm-hmm. benchmark. But it's just, it's like a race car. You never know if you put a Formula One into a street, uh, you know, into a road street, what, what will happen. With this test, I was like trying to do that to see what we can achieve with extreme overclocking, a, a super extremely competitive system, just put into a real world performance. So I think anybody did that or at least uh, as far as I know, anybody did like benchmark uh, 1900K at 7 gigahertz or in this case, the Ryzen at uh, 5 gigahertz. So I was like, uh, I try to use my uh, extreme overclocking uh, thing that I do just to put mm-hmm. it in the real world and also to understand what if. Since uh, extreme overclocking is, is about find all the bottlenecks and you know try to eliminate all the bottlenecks to reach a goal. It's yes helps as well. I think, uh, well, every company have their similar clocking to build the motherboard, to build CPU, to understand where is the bottleneck and how to direct uh, the new architecture to perform better. So this is the whole point. Right. And before we get ahead of ourselves, because I do want to start getting, I do want to eventually get into specifics, things that you found with the Zen and Intel architectures. I actually, I actually want to start with, so I mean, I've noticed there's a non-American accent here. Uh, do you mind telling us like where you're from and like you know a little bit of your backstory and what got you into overclocking? Yeah, sure. Uh, I'm Italian, mm-hmm. and well, it's like 15, 16 years now that I'm I moved around the world, like various parts of Italy, so France, uh, Ireland, uh, now Spain. So it's like six years now that I live in Spain. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I traveled a bit. Uh, that's maybe I have some. Italian accent, some Spanish accent. <laughs> I'm a bit uh, mixed. It's it, it, I, if I had to pick one, the Italian is still the predominant one for sure. Okay, nice. But one. Um, 
Yeah, so when did did you start overclocking six years ago then in Spain, or were you doing it while you were moving around? Uh, I started overclocking like 20 years ago, maybe, something like this. Uh, probably I was overclocking like the Pentium 2, the Pentium 3. At the time, there was also the Celeron. There was a Celeron 350 megahertz that was overclocking like a 550, 600 megahertz. So it was a, and then I started normal overclocking, you know. Take mm-hmm. the PC part, you know, change the settings like a bit blindly, uh, and then uh, I think with the Atron XP I went sub zero. So uh, first with the the tech, the Peltier cells, and then you bring down the CPU to minus ten, minus fifteen, mm-hmm. and then I raised the bar until now that liquid nitrogen. So I did a bit of all the steps, but I think it's like twenty years now that I do sub zero uh, overclocking. Actually, this is something I just thought of. So, do you remember the first time you overclocked? Like, what made you do it? I don't know exactly. I really was a long time ago. I think it was 1997, something like this. Mm-hmm. I think curiosity. Just, you know, I see something here, like, I think it was like, I don't know, uh, 350 megahertz. And there was the, the selector you know, in the bio. The bios was really simple at the time. So, you mm-hmm. didn't have the chance to change much. Sometimes it was a ping in the motherboard. And I see, well, 266 is lower than 350. Let's try 350. Maybe it's faster. And, you know, and you start playing yeah. with that. Curiosity, I think. And then you start seeing like performance gains and you're like, oh, this was just free. I just got more performance for free. And uh, once you get used to doing that, it's something I've thought about a lot recently, too, because like I don't I don't honestly remember when I I would almost argue the first overclocking I did was just trying to keep my uh, Pentium laptop from overheating constantly, which wasn't really overclocking. But that was my first exposure to. Is there anything I can do to make this stop? Like literally melting the plastic around it, and yeah. I don't, I don't know. It had to have been like a 560 Ti or an Ivy Bridge i5, where I really started just noticing you could push these things farther. And I've, I've done it ever since. But newer components, more and more so, don't get nearly as much over overclocking. I mean, I mean, my 7970, I got a 40 percent performance boost over <laughs> stock settings. Yes. And now it's like, I think of how much effort I put into getting 10% more performance, if we're being honest. Yeah, now it's, it's, it's different than before. I, think I, I recall my first real overclock for a daily system was uh, the Atron XP, the 1700. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about 2002, 2003, more or less. And that was a, a really nice overclocking since uh, it was like 1.6 gigahertz to like 2.5, 2.6. <laughs> uh, like, It'd be like pushing a processor uh, to six gigahertz right now. Yeah, and and that was a a single core, so everything was on a core. So yeah, you, you had if you push that, uh, you had the real game performance. But I mean a, a lot, and at the time it was a big thing since uh, it was Intel AMD was pretty much more toward the AMD side since with the Atlon it was a, mm-hmm. a better architecture so the Pentium 4 was uh, an oven um, so we, we are seeing pretty much something that the history tend to repeat so the company was challenging each other and at the time overclocking the AMD was the, the deal if you check mm-hmm. back in the forum at the time uh, was a common practice now it's a bit lost since mm-hmm. of course because now the company knows that uh, people like to play a bit with overclocking and they made it easier, safer, mm-hmm. 
So Much easier and safer than it yeah. used to be. For, yeah. Since at the time it was like a, an earth thing. So a very small population was overclocking and then uh, having risk to damage the components. It, since now mm-hmm. there's a lot of safety safety measure in place. So it's very hard to, to burn a CPU now. Now, at the time it was, it was easy <laughs> to burn <laughs> CPUs. So now they take the thing more, let's say, mainstream, but they limit as well the the potential of overclocking of uh, of the CPU. Since now with the Ryzen, they almost make the overclock useless. I think we we will get in the topic later about that. Yeah, I mean, also I think a certain degree of it is they've just realized the performance they were leaving on the table for so many years, and especially with graphics cards now. I mean, they hmm. they auto overclock themselves basically. Yes. Like I mean, the I remember the seven nine fifty boost, and it was a <laughs> it was AMD's first boost graphics card, and wow, it boosted from nine hundred to nine twenty five megahertz on its own, you know, and that was the extent that it would adjust its frequency to conserve power. And now you see them go. I mean, I I have a Radeon seven, and you see this thing go from four like like a thousand megahertz using a hundred watts. And then in a really heavy scene in like Metro Exodus, all of a sudden, boom, it's just running 1.9 gigahertz using 300 watts out of nowhere. And it's it makes it overall way more efficient. I mean, they'll do better in benchmarks, but I don't know. So I don't know how much of it is the safety things, too, in terms of them just like, we wish the 7970 would have been 20% better than it was. Yeah, I think, it, I think they mainly do it for efficiency as well, for... Uh, mm-hmm. Because it is a smart, it's a very smart thing, the boost, like it is now, uh, and they are keep perfectioning over the year. It's very smart at the point that with Zen 2, uh, basically the algorithm of the Zen 2 is is better than you. I mean, you can, it's difficult to overclock something now like a, a Ryzen 2, since uh, if you have like a 3800X, it boosts like a 4.6. You can, it's very difficult to reach 4.6, even for mm-hmm. the sample. So they, they make it smart. So they, they took the performance left on the table and they just utilized that. So it's a smart yeah. thing. Intel did, didn't do that. Or maybe with the 10 gen, they are pushing a bit. But so far, I mean, even in, in the... They're, they're kind of doing it a little bit, right? With the velocity boost. They're starting to. I, I mean, I, I said that in my 3950X review, I basically came to the same conclusion TechSpot Hardware box did, which is to say... Yes, you can overclock it, but I did the math and it was like, it seems like with my 16 cores, when I'm running a game, it will run one or two cores at about 4.4 gigahertz. And then that's for the main threads. And then it'll run everything else at about 4.2, except for maybe the last five cores. And those will just run at like 3.9. It doesn't really matter though. Those five cores aren't being used. So I could all core overclock, but I would have to be able to get all... 16 cores to I did like 4.4 gigahertz for the overall performance to actually be better. And then it'll be screaming at like 200 Watts as well. There's almost, there's almost no point anymore outside of maybe like, you know, a little bit of undervolting turning PBO on, which, which actually brings us to QH Freddy's question here, who writes in from Patreon. He says, basically, would you advise overclocking to most people anymore? Or when would you? The answer is depends, since uh, mm-hmm. there's a lot of factors. Some, sometimes, you know, I'm 
first that love to see the numbers in your graph. You know, this CPU can do 200 FPS. That's super cool. Uh, but we need to take in consideration what GPU we have. If you are using like FreeSync or G-Sync, uh, if we have, there's a lot of, I mean, you have to take in consideration the ecosystem. Sometimes it's not worth it since uh, you're overclocking something that is limited by something else that is bottlenecking. So that mm-hmm. is pretty useless and you risk uh, instability or, you know, uh, you have really to take that in the, into the context uh, and to evaluate if it's really worth it. Sometimes it is, sometimes not. Uh, if you have like a, I don't know, an old, an old CPU that is, uh, you have a, a new G- graphics card, maybe it's worth it since uh, your GPU is, yeah, is holding you back. Yeah, make it last a little longer. And maybe with a, with a bit of overclock, you can you can wait to purchase a new one. In that, that case, yes, I will advise that, but to do it safely, respecting the safe voltages, have enough cooling, everything mm-hmm. in place to, to make it work since nobody wants like to play online and at a certain point you start crashing I mean you lose so it's better to leave 10 FPS on the table but to have a stable system so for me first is stability if I have to take myself as an example when I play online World of Warcraft for example I mean this is the only game that I play uh, I usually run the, the system almost at default except uh, for the memory mm-hmm. so I I don't really need all that power in the CPU, and I leave it at default. Same for the GPU. Uh, it's, it's rare the case, I think, that you need an overclocking. Mostly now I overclock the, the memory into a very safe profile. One thing that um, really kept me overclocking for a while, though, was the fact that I did a lot of mining. And in 2018 and 2019, the return on investment was so... let's just call it unsustainable. (laughs) Like I could tell this is not going to be here again, this profit margin. It got to the point where it it was worth, it didn't matter how much energy my cards used, frankly. (laughs) Like I was actually doing the math for the circuit breaker in my house, like how many amps before my house just shuts (laughs) down and like backing it off a little from there. But I mean, one thing that I noticed with stability is some of these newer architectures, especially the Zen ones, You'd be surprised how it might not be stable even after days of stability testing because this drove me crazy about two weeks ago where I could not figure out why my PC was black screening while I was video editing. It only happened when I was video editing. I never lost any files, but then I'd have to reboot. And you know, it just kept slowing me down. And I found out that it was stable while gaming It was stable while using all 16 cores to export or render for the most part. But while editing, if I dropped like a file into like the, uh, what do I want to say? Like the, 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 the storyboard, it Mm -hmm. would for a second, a split second boost one of the cores to 4.7 gigahertz. And that is what was crashing. And it only happened while I was video editing and stressing the graphics card at the same time. So once I discovered that, you know, I bumped down voltages a little bit and I just, you know, I have PBO on. I don't think I'm going to touch it that much anymore. I think obviously you want to pretty much overclock Intel processors as much as you can. That's kind of the entire point still. Yeah, um, yeah I agree. Okay. So because sometimes uh, the gain is really almost nothing. I, I use Blender Benchmark Complete to test these kind of things since it's like one hour and something on a six core or eight core. So it's a, it's a lot of time. And I see, even if I try to tweak the PBO on Ryzen or I try to manual overclock, 
at the end is like one hour uh, normal uh, 57 minutes or clocked so mm-hmm. three minutes is it worth it no i, I don't think so to risk because having to start because, over because right when you when you have a crash you lose like 20 minutes one hour mm-hmm. so it it really uh, the, the 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 issue is like uh, outcome the 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 gain so is yeah so going back to kind of some of the stuff outlined to talk about i like asking uh, first time guests especially when we're talking about cpu specifically what your expectations were for zen 1 because i mean you've clearly been you know dealing with pc parts for decades and there was, it really can't be emphasized enough. I, I really think a lot of people switched from console to PC gaming in around 2014 to 2016 when that console, you know, whether, whether it was because they didn't want to get a PlayStation and they moved from Xbox to PC or they mm-hmm. built their PC in 2012 because they were tired of how long that console gen went on. So there's a lot of people in the past decade who joined and were used to five. 10% performance increases per year, Intel always on top. Um, and, and if you built in 2016, you're used to NVIDIA always being on top as well. Mm-hmm. And and I don't really think it can be like how rewarding it was to see AMD come back with Zen 1. So before Zen 1 came out, what did you expect from it, right? How good did you expect it to be? It was... Um... I was excited by the launch of this new sense, so new new name, new brand, uh, a lot of you know, a lot of fuzz around that. So I was hyped since uh, as well uh, when I saw the Ryzen seventeen hundred was was reminding me the Athlon XP seventeen hundred, which at the time was a revolution, and I say, wow, they did it again. So they are going to to be again competitive against Intel, maybe better. So my expectation was. At the sky level, so I was. I have. A, I had a lot of expectation since I was remembering the name. So I had this trick in my mind, and uh, I still remember that it was unboxing the. I had a, a Tomahawk, uh, a MSI Tomahawk, a B three fifty. Was a nice board, by the way, and the Ryzen seventeen hundred. And I was trying to do the first test. Well, let alone that uh, at the beginning. I know if you, if you recall that there was a I lot do. of memory issue. A lot mm-hmm. of memory issues, so it was, was a nightmare. Uh, but that board, I think I was able to run 2,900 and something. So that board was nice. Most of the board was like 2,600 megahertz. Mm-hmm. But except the, the memory issue, then I start testing. And I saw, I usually test with World of Warcraft. Since it, uh, for me, it's like um, the best test to see how in single core uh, generation is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I saw that the Ryzen 1700, at default, was very similar to the uh, sixth generation i5, so the mm-hmm. 6500K. Uh, and uh, I was a bit disappointed at the beginning since there was a lot of hype. And then they saw that the performance in single core wasn't that great. It was better than the, the previous generation since mm, even course. if they, they pushed 5 gigahertz with, uh, with the FX, wasn't enough. With Ryzen, they clearly made a, a step, a, a leap, I mean, performance. But I was a bit disappointed, honestly. And then, then the platform start getting updated to the memory, and then you start overclocking the memory, you, you gain something here, something there. The application wasn't so bad. Uh, I, I recall that I tried in Windows, and at the beginning with the slow memory, the window was a bit sluggish. Uh, mm-hmm. If you compare to the Intel, you, have a, you can feel the experience. So it was something that was You can, possible. back then I agree. Yeah. 
But then the platform start getting better, and I, I bought the the Crosshair Six to do extreme overclocking, and then uh, everything. I saw that the I mean, it was a, a new architecture, so everything was new. Uh, and I know that AMD, when you launch something at day zero, is nothing works basically. <laughs> You're like a beta tester. <laughs> They're trying to fix that, but I yeah. felt a bit a beta tester, but I was I was happy since because I saw AMD back in the game. And mm-hmm. I knew that maybe Zen 1 wasn't the product, but I knew that as well Intel was pushing and so AMD. So I, I felt the competition back there. Mm-hmm. I felt it was, was something that was leading to a road that uh, was clearly a benefit from everyone. Yeah. I remember the early claims for Zen, like they were going to use CCXs and then combined yields so that they could make smaller dies and use more core and bring you more cores for a reasonable price. And, you know, I saw like the 95 watt TDPs for an eight core and they were comparing it to Broadwell uh, at low clock speeds. And the way I thought about it was, these are my expectations. It was like, well, I don't know. I don't think AMD is going to be able to beat Intel anytime soon just because it's been a while. But at the same time, you know, maybe if they could at least get us Sandy Bridge IPC and better efficiency and get us eight cores for half the price of what Intel charges, it'll be a big deal. And then I remember them showing it beating Broadwell and IPC. And I started going, oh, oh my God, this might actually be a legitimate (laughs) threat. And yeah, you see, I never had to, I didn't get Zen 1. So I didn't have to deal with the early teething issues, which I heard there were, I, I remember, again, Steve from Hardware Unbox's face when he started the review video. You could tell yeah, he had been up nice for nights. I remember a lot of people, I remember just immediately, at least in gaming, being blown away. I didn't have, I don't think, expectations as big as you, but I was like, as far as I can tell, what I'm seeing here, like especially if we were to compare the 1600 to like the 7700K, I'm like, it seems 75% is good, uses less energy, and gives you 50% more cores. And that's when I started being blown away by like, because this this was an argument that used to happen. People were like, oh, well, Bulldozer and Pile Driver give you 60 frames anyways, so who cares? And I remember the tech press at the time still kind of acting like, well, Intel's still better at gaming and just being completely confused, actually, because I was like, well, yeah, Intel was better than Pile Driver at gaming, but like it, like it wasn't a contest. It was like five gigahertz Pile Driver couldn't even come close to Intel's quad core. And then yeah. I saw Zen, 60 hertz wasn't just not an issue. It was easily doing around 100 for like half the price. And I was like, Oh, this entirely changes what most people are probably going to buy for reasonable budget builds. And, th- and that was right around when Battlefield 1 came out and you started seeing right away in online games this like bad minimum frame rates if you only had a quad core. Yes, I think they, they changed as well the, uh, the paradigm that the developer was used to to, to, to develop games since, uh, I mean, uh, years ago, four years ago, there was the 7700K, the 6700K, that was the mm-hmm. best uh, processor CPU game for, for games in the world. It was a quad core. Now, if we think that an 8-core is like the minimum uh, nowadays, yeah. <laughs> but that was was for AMD, because if AMD wasn't launching the Ryzen... Oh, <laughs> I believe Intel's plan was to launch the... 
I, I don't even know if it was going to be the 8700K, but they were going to launch basically a six core. The plan was six core, I believe, Skylake, which we call Coffee Lake now, in like 20. <laughs> I want to say they were going to launch it in 2019. And then they were going to try to bring out 10 nanometer in 2020 or 2021. And the plan was like six cores for two or three generations and then eight cores from them yes. in 2021. Like there was a leaked roadmap showing that was their plan. Like we would still not have eight cores right now if AMD had exactly, launched yes. Ryzen. So, well, so let's then, what do you think about the Coffee Lake response then? Because they, they definitely had the 8700K done basically in design and they like accelerated its launch like six months to a year. I mean, what, what did you think about that response? Right, that was a nice response. I mean, that was, I don't think like a, a first signal of fear, AMD, but they knew that it was time to to speed up the, a bit the roadmap since uh, now AMD was a bit behind, but was an eight core. At least a six core was due to, to release. Uh, it was a good signal to me that they, they started uh, anticipating the roadmap and was a good response since it was the king of gaming, of course, because I, it was, I, remember yeah. I, I tried it at, at, day, at day zeros at day, day one and was a, is still a nice CPU because if I run the 8700K now in most of the games, it, it's difficult to see a big difference between the 9900K. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's still a nice CPU to, to play. Uh, le- the other day I tested the 4700K uh, and it was 4970K and it's still a nice CPU. So Intel... I have a, an architecture that is it didn't advance much in the year as IPC, but it's, it's still a, a good a good architecture. So they just added a couple of core and that's it. So mm-hmm. minimum effort, they, they are still at the top. Yeah, I find it weird how little effort they put in, though, until I think right about now. I think we're going to start seeing them change that effort with Rocket Lake and Alder Lake. But yeah, to probably. me... Like when you look at every AMD release on anything, it doesn't matter. Like you see Renoir come out and it has some new features. You see the 3300X come out and it clearly has some tweaks. I think they added USB 4 to it. You know, it seems like every little thing they've got done, they're like, oh, this is what's coming out next. We'll include that in there. Whereas still with Intel, it feels like, I don't know, I think they've added a few more PCIe lanes to the newest a chipset, but besides that, it's like literally they've changed like nothing. I personally thought that Coffee Lake was the bare minimum they could do. <laughs> like they, there had to have been some more effort they could put in, and I really don't think I don't personally think they were taking AMD seriously even back then. Truly, until now, when they realized, oh no, they're going to keep they're going to keep bringing new stuff every year. Actually, this isn't just like a one every few years thing. I think they they start. Taking AMD seriously with the Zen 2. Before yes. it was like, no, they are following us, but we are still on the lead. I mean, I added this, I mean, this this feeling that only with Zen 2 they, they start, you know, understanding that maybe it's time to, you know, to start running. Uh, but only with Zen 2. And since that is in fact true, since the Zen 2 brought uh, a lot of power on the table, a lot of performance that uh, was missing in Zen 1 and Zen Plus. So, and now probably they, they fear a bit Zen 3. Yes. <laughs> I think they're very... Uh, yeah, I mean, and you know, on my channel, I do lots of leaks and try to get insider information. The, the impression I get from Intel right now is that they 
everything that they're working on, they want to come out as soon as possible, even if it doesn't make sense. Like they want Rocket Lake <laughs> yes. out in a few months and you'd go, so what? They're, they're launching Rocket Lake a few months after Comet Lake. And it's like, yep, as soon as we can get anything out, we're launching new products because they know they need it. They know they cannot have Comet Lake fight Zen 3 specifically. And certainly I, I think they want to I think they want to get Alder Lake out just as soon as possible as well. But so kind of changing gears here, getting into kind of what, how I discovered your channel. I'll just ask a reader mail. John O'Shea it writes in and he says something he may know. How much does IPC correlate with frequency from three gigahertz to five gigahertz? Does IPC increase? And if so, why? Which is kind of a loaded question because IPC isn't really an exact science anyways but yes I, I don't like much talking about ipc since i i i like to take uh, to look at the bigger picture since ipc is kind of a fixed number but it is mildly influenced uh, sometimes uh, mm -hmm. it's hard to explain since okay maybe now zen 2 <clears throat> sorry um have a better ipc than intel but uh, in some cases intel is still on the lead and by, mm -hmm. by far but in some application, AMD is leading now since uh, I think they have a better IPC. But uh, having a better IPC on average, it's not yeah. everything. Yeah, on average. But IPC is something related to the core. But then you have the memory, you have the I/O. is a is a very complex matter to to measure. So talking only about IPC is is reductive. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's, it's just talking about one letter of a of a phrase. Yeah, and people constantly mix up what it even means. I mean, basically, IPC is just their rough estimate of at same clock speeds, what the improvement yeah. will be. But it's a rough estimate. It varies per application. There are some enterprise applications where I know Zen 2 Epic is like 40% higher IPC increase over Zen Plus. Certainly not in any games, but there are select applications where it's that much better at the same frequencies than Zen Plus was. And then there are some... Like games where I wouldn't say it's even really 14%, although it depends on the game. Like if all you do is play mm -hmm. Counter-Strike, that was an insane boost in IPC yes, yeah. right there. Um, but so so why don't you go into what you found specifically with the uh, 3800X versus the 9900K? Because I think when people hear, oh, AMD now has 5%, 10% more IPC than Intel, logically you would conclude, well, okay, so a 3800X at 5 gigahertz should... Mm -hmm destroy the 9900k at five gigahertz shouldn't it yes that uh, that i mean it reminds me when uh, at the end of zen one waiting for zen plus i remember the rumors in the internet oh now zen plus would be five gigahertz now is the time that uh, they crash intel with the five gigahertz frequency and i was careful at the time i said no don't think about that since uh, sometimes frequency doesn't mean anything because mm -hmm. we have to, to take all the architecture. And what I discovered in that uh, test that I'm still running uh, and still benchmarking, uh, I'm benchmarking now Zen Plus at 5 gigahertz, I'm benchmarking mm -hmm. Intel at 6 gigahertz, and it doesn't scale a lot, even at 6 Internet usually scales, but it's not infinite that you can uh, go to 20 gigahertz and you have 20x the, the, the power. Right. So, because there's a lot of bottlenecks, uh, and the test I did was just to confirm what uh, I thought at, the, at day zero when I review Zen 2, that frequency isn't everything, because you have to take a look as well at the memory. 
that confirmed that uh, in that uh, test, I think I did it uh, with a with an XMP profile, a simple XMP. So you know the XMP that you know is mm-hmm. only the primary timings, and the difference between both the CPU at five gigahertz only changing the memory difference was double digit in some mm-hmm. cases. So I showed that even if you push the frequency to five gigahertz, but you forgot you forget to to tune the memory, is completely useless. Even mm-hmm. if even if you tune the memory, sometimes five gigahertz is useless. But even more if you have the, the memory at XMP, and that was finding that the bottleneck is memory. Yeah, um, and I'm trying to think. So how would I put this? So I remember Zen One roughly. If you're running CPUs around four gigahertz, Zen One was clearly I would say five to ten percent worse IPC than Skylake. And then I saw Zen Plus and it was like, well, it depends. It seems like it's almost the same, actually, Zen Plus. And so mm-hmm. at five gigahertz, I guess that's my question, right? How, like, a, a, what percentage better at gaming would you say a 9900K at five gigahertz is than Zen Plus? Like 2700X versus 9900K. I mean, I, I know it will depend on the game, right? But at default, or at five gigahertz. At five gigahertz, five gigahertz versus five Zen Plus versus ninety nine hundred K. I tried that, and uh, it doesn't change much. Since uh, uh, if you take the twenty seven hundred X that boosts four point thirty five, mm-hmm. and if you take that same environment but at five gigahertz, you have like uh, one is like one hundred and thirty FPS, the other is one hundred and thirty nine, maybe mm-hmm. with very right, tuned so... memory. So the scaling is nothing. So you're like, yeah, you're you're so you're doing like almost a fifteen percent overclock, and it sounds like you're getting like four percent more performance or something yeah, around something like there. That. Whereas the ninety nine hundred K at five gigahertz is definitely running like fifteen percent or more better than at four. Correct. Much better because well, well, well uh, no, I try to do that test as well. So I have mm-hmm. now I have a, a, a very big Excel. So now I have to finish the test and put you know the, the put together the numbers, but. Don't think that uh, um, at five gigahertz the Intel will perform much much better than at four gigahertz. Yeah. So, and at six gigahertz because I did that as well with the Intel 9900K at six gigahertz, it doesn't really perform much higher than at five gigahertz. Mm. So it seems so, to max out somewhere around five, whereas AMD yeah. maxes out around four point two. And I'm using a, a 2080 Ti, so a yeah. big GPU, and probably. From five to six, there's a GPU bottleneck. But from mm-hmm. five to four, uh, you can have uh, a good. Uh, I think if you if you don't mind, I take some numbers here since I have yeah, sure. right in front of me, so we can at least uh, uh, comment on real numbers. Uh, for example, the Shadow of Tomb Raider at say four gigahertz, I have like 161 with hyper threading mm-hmm. off, and uh, uh, 159 with uh, at default. So 1900K at four gigahertz. At, okay. uh, at default was 170. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about 10 FPS more. And at six gigahertz, I was like 180. Wow. So there's really not so much difference. Okay. What's your cache speed at though, right? I was uh, at six gigahertz, I was 5.5. Okay, so yeah, all right. Because yeah. they def- they say keep it within 5 to 10%. So you had the cash that high too. Yes. Yeah, wow. It's a, it's a, it's a, if, you, if you count that at 4 gigahertz versus 5 gigahertz, we have only 7 FPS from the 1900K at 4 gigahertz versus the 5 gigahertz. 
is only f five, uh, seven FPS in the 160 area. So basically, so is, you uh, you don't need to 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 yeah. overclock uh, the CPU. That's really interesting too, because I think people talk about, you know, well, oh, if we could just get to like, you know, there was that, for example, I don't know, there's that rumor of, oh, what if they moved Zen three to five nanometer, which I don't personally really think that's going to happen, not with mainstream Zen three. I mean, but let's say they did and, you know, and it they didn't do any architectural changes. It was just a straight die shrink. They didn't go for any density. I think a lot of people would think, oh, well, maybe they'll push Zen three past five gigahertz and then we'll get it even stronger. And it's like, they're probably going to go mostly for the efficiency gain, actually. Yes. I'm from the node sure. shrink. Because the architecture was never envisioned to be running at six gigahertz. So it was never yes. really built to scale performance that high. Yeah, it doesn't need to. Uh, it's, it's, it's not smart. So I hope that they keep the power consumption low. At least they have something to tell against Intel. We mm-hmm. have like, we have more or less the same FPS, but half the power. That is powerful. Right. Which I, I typically say I don't really care about power consumption, and I think it just depends on the form factor, right? So, for instance, let's say the RX 580 uses 180 watts, and then the 1060 uses 120, 130 watts. Well, they're both going to use a 6 or an 8 pin, so it's not really going to affect anything. But if you had to go to, say, three 8 pins <laughs> instead of one 6 pin, that is where I say, no, you should care about power consumption at that point. Trust me, it's going to heat up your room. You'll, you won't probably notice 120 to 180 watts. I assure you, you'll notice 120 to 300. And mostly I see most of people doesn't really care about power consumption, neither am I. I don't care if it's right. 50 watts more. But what I do care is noise. Since mm-hmm. if you generate more watts, you have to cool it down. So you have the fan spinning louder. So I do care about noise. So if I have a, a very hot CPU, it means that I have more noise. Mm-hmm. So I prefer to to take a look at the power consumption into a noise uh, perspective. Since more power, more heat, more noise. I do this math in my mind. I don't really care if I spend one cent, cent per day in, in electricity bill, but yeah. I do care if I have 40 FPS versus 35. That's, that's the math I do in my head. So this is kind of a random question then here. When you look at Zen Plus from 4 to 5 gigahertz, and then you look at Zen 2 from 4 to 5 gigahertz, which one scaled performance to 5 gigahertz better? Is it about the same, or do you think Zen Plus actually got a bigger gain from going This is a good question, and I have the answer here. Since uh, the 3800X at 4 gigahertz, is 139 FPS. I mean, now we're talking about Shadow of the Tomb Raider, but it's more or less the same, you know, the benchmark. Right. Uh, yeah, we are talking about gaming. So the 3800X performed like the the Zen 1 at 5 gigahertz. Okay. So, uh, if I take that CPU at 5 gigahertz, I gain 6 FPS. So okay. they scale more or less the same. That's like a 4% increase, and that's for the 3800X. Yeah. And then what it are the 27? The it was the same difference? Yes, since uh, the 2700X at 4 gigahertz is 129. Okay. Okay. When I overclock it to 5 gigahertz, is uh, 136. So we're talking about 7 FPS more from 4 gigahertz to 5 gigahertz Zen 1. I would make the argument, though, that the earlier Zen scaled performance better as you increase clock speed percentage-wise. Maybe uh, it's the same FPS difference, right? 
but it started with a smaller number. So if it increases at seven FPS, just like the other yes. one does, technically it scaled performance better in a percentage yeah. comparison. Yes. Yeah, we can say that. Uh, but we have to, to say that at the beginning, Zen 1 and Zen Plus wasn't performing like this because over time they gained performance. Sure. And I saw a big boost uh, when I test Zen Plus uh, since uh, I saw in that same night that I tested the, the Zen Plus that when I was testing with the new BIOS, Zen mm-hmm. 1, I got like a 5 to 6% in, in boost mm-hmm. just with the new BIOS. So th- if I test now a Zen Plus, it's uh, probably is like 7, 8% better than the Zen, the same CPU. Oh, launch. I see. That is something that we need to, to remind ourselves this. Since every CP, AMD CPU, every, every Zen CPU got better ever, over time. Mm-hmm. Probably because they, they, they optimized the memory controller access in the, the BIOS. I don't know what sorcery they did, but they, they made all the processor performs better. So yeah. To With Zen, it's always basically the memory, at least for now. It seems yeah. that's how you increase performance. With my 3950X, I mean, I remember, I mean, I didn't really get it for gaming, but it is just, as it turns out, very good at that as well. And I found that, yeah, I mean, trying to push the clock speed really high would get me a little bit more FPS. But when I got my memory to, well, my memory was already at this with Skylake. I'm actually using the same DDR4 kit as I did with my 6700K. So uh, 3600 megahertz, and then I think it's CL14. Um, at mm-hmm. those speeds. And that thing's actually been running for four years straight in multiple systems. And then getting the FCLK clock to, what is it? I think 1900 megahertz is usually where it about yes. maxes out. And I got I got a solid 15% boost from doing that uh, yeah. to the point where I noticed there was there was no point in me overclocking the cores anyways in any of my games. It was, it was all the FCLK clock in the memory. Exactly. That's what I'm saying in every video I made. Since I, I do test the XMP profile straight as it is, and then I tune a memory profile with Ryzen Dijon calculator. So some, I try to make uh, my settings really accessible to the people. So if they saw one of my videos, mm-hmm. they know that they, they run more or less the, the setting of the Dijon calculator, and that's it. I don't want to mm-hmm. enter in deep and super technical stuff about memory since uh, the majority of the people that watch the video doesn't really want to do that. And they don't have time to do that. It's not worth to do that. But I just try to say, okay, try this with rising direct calculator, five minutes, 10 minutes, you're done. And mm-hmm. you have like 10% of performance for free. And you and you leave the, the CPU at the fault since it's not worth it. And that's the thing that I saw. But the first time that I tried the Crosshair 6 with a 1700 Verizon, and I was barely having my memory at 300 megahertz. Now, mm-hmm. with the same board, same CPU, new kit of memory, new BIOS, I can run that CPU at 3600 mem- uh, megahertz uh, of, mm-hmm. in the memory. So they, they made the, the memory over time way better. Mm-hmm. And now with Zen, Zen 2, I can achieve like 3800 megahertz uh, with the, the FCLK at 1.1, and it gives a big boost in performance. And it's something that I probably the, the average user should be like uh, educated to do, since it's not something that is yeah well, difficult. And, and I mean, talking about average user, I always get amused by this. Most people, uh, most people don't really touch a lot of settings. They just leave it at stock. They just want to turn yeah. on their PC they built and play some games. 
But a lot of these people, and I know because I like arguing with people in the chat in Battlefield 5. I don't know why that's so amusing <laughs> for me, but the amount of people that just take the bait and argue across teams in Battlefield 5's text chat is for me very, it's very amusing. And one thing you'll see is how many people bought a 9900K for their, you know, God gaming rig. They didn't overclock anything. And it's funny to think, you know, anyone who just bought a 3800X and then tweaked the memory could be outperforming a stock sure. 9900K that they ended up paying yeah. 50% twice as much for because you need a liquid cooler. Definitely, yes. And, yes, and, I, and, I think so. And, and my point isn't actually that, you know, saying, oh, AMD is every bit as good at gaming. My point really is all of these CPUs now <laughs> are within like 10% of each other anyways. Like at the end of the day, anything above like a certain level, like anything above like a 3600, as long as you tweak it, all of these are so close to each other in gaming performance now. It's almost comical to see the arguing over like a 5% performance win. I mean, imagine if graphics cards were like that and people were like haggling over a 5% performance difference to buy a 2080 Ti over like a 5700. And yeah, maybe the same people that use a 60 Hertz monitor because yeah. it happens. <laughs> For my new benchmarking station, I did use a legitimate key of Windows 10 Professional, and that's because it's just not expensive if you go to CDK Offers. They did sponsor me to say this, but I used their website, and it works well. They have great customer support, and if you use offer code BROKENSILICON, you'll get 25% off Windows software, and DieShrink gets you 3% off all software on the website, including game codes. I will reiterate, it was really easy for me to actually set up an account on this website, search for Windows, buy the code using whatever payment method I wanted, and they do have several options, and then I simply got sent the authentic key and downloaded Windows 10 from Microsoft's website. Save yourself some money to get more bones for your dog and don't stress yourself out using illegitimate keys. These are real keys and they did sponsor this part of the video. So one more time, that's cdkoffers.com. Use DieShrink for 3% off all software on the website, including Steam games and Broken Silicon for 25% off software. All right, now let's get to the benchmarking. Yeah, I mean, it's a good time now to, to build a PC now since we have a very small difference between the CPU. Sometimes it's not worth it because it can match a high refresh rate of display. So. Yeah. I'll so I think, by the way, I do want to say this too, that I suspect, I could be entirely wrong, right? You've seen, though, how over time AMD's made their uh, platforms more mature. They're getting better at not having buggy stuff when it comes out. And you've seen how over time that's meant that the previous performance difference in gaming has become smaller and smaller and smaller, even just with Zen 1. I still think basically every game engine out now was built around working well on an Intel ring bus, and that once the next-gen consoles come out, we might see game engines built around leveraging Zen's differences far, far better. And I, I really, I could be entirely wrong, right? But I, I do wonder if we're going to see this too when next-gen games come out within a year, where all of a sudden 
this IPC difference is much, much, much more apparent when games are actually built to use Zen properly. I don't know if you expect that, though. I mean, that's kind of just a random guess, yeah. actually. No, no, I think, I think the same. Since uh, three years ago, it was all about single-core performance and around the, the best CPU available, so the Intel. Now that they know they can, they can scale uh, with cores, they, they start building games differently. Mm-hmm. And I saw in I take as example World of Warcraft since is I mean probably one of the most uh, intensive CPU game now that you can play and uh, like before last year it was completely single threaded so mm-hmm. only one thread at 99% and the other in, on vacation now they with DirectX 12 they start making some kind of multi-threading and it scales to eight threads so mm-hmm. it's a big it's a big game for a very old game with a very difficult engine to tweak they made it. They, they, it now scales up to eight threads. It's still yeah. heavily single threaded, but if you have an eight core processor, it may help. So mm-hmm. we saw that the change in a game that is super difficult to tweak, we may see the difference in the upcoming game. So they will take advantage of many cores, like Battlefield 5, for example. So I've got a reader mail here, uh, kind of switching gears again from Steak and Chicken Man, and he says, what's your thoughts on Intel's mesh versus ring bus versus Zen Infinity fabric and overclocking scenarios or just in general? Like, do you have a lot of experience messing with those mesh architecture Intel CPUs? Uh, no, I've not been into the mesh architecture so far, but well, it's clearly a good improvement over the ring. So I think that if Intel is going to adopt the mesh in every CPU or probably for the Gen 11, mm-hmm. I think. It would be nice since uh, we saw that the ring is a very strong and consolidated architecture, but is not good with many cores. No. In, in some scenario, you will see that the 7700K performs better than the others. Yeah. Well, the ring is I more mean, it's a ring, right? So the less cores, the faster that rings you're sending information in that circle. Right. If you have eight core, you have to wait eight steps before one one clock ring. So it's normal that you cannot scale an architecture forever. At least it's not was not meant to be scalable. Was yeah. meant to do a core for a four core. With I think the the top was at the eighty seven hundred K. So six core, the ring was still okay. With the nineteen hundred K, the performance in certain application was degrading a bit. In theory, it was still an architecture that was doing good. Uh, I frequency and everything, but the ring was too overcharged. So mm-hmm. moving to the mesh is a good idea since the mesh is working. It's proven that it's working good. You know, and it wasn't that great at first, but it seems to be pretty much on par now with ring or pretty close. Although I do wonder what they're going to do. I guess Golden Cove may finally leave the ring architecture. We know Ice Lake doesn't, and it seems like Willow Cove with Tiger Lake won't. But Alder Lake, supposedly, you know, this is where we get into speculation, is eight Golden Cove cores, I believe. And then it's going to be eight Atom cores in the background, a big little design. And I wonder if one reason they're going to big little is so they can keep using the ring architecture for the main cores. I'm just throwing that out there that I do wonder if they actually have any plans to abandon ring for many years. Well, I think probably they have to take some return of investment of the of architecture. So I think probably for some project they will 
they will use the previous technology if this program working. So maybe if, as you say, the big little is like two core with the ring and then the other with the mesh, maybe if, if it's mm -hmm. working, why not? So and the idea, if something is working, even if it's old or if it's trained, it's weird. But if it's working, it's working. So Yeah, I mean, I if you could get the best of both worlds, I guess that would yeah. be ideal. Um, let's see, Jan and Close writes in and he says, what is it specifically that gives Skylake-based architectures an advantage over Zen in games sometimes? Would you say it's more the optimization by the developers that, or yeah. is it that it has reduced latency from the ring architecture and the smaller core counts? Yeah, it's the intercore latency at first and mm -hmm. a better IMC since they are using that IMC what, five years. So it's an architecture that is mature. So if they had bugs at the beginning, now it's five years of uh, fixing back. So mm -hmm. it's a very much better architecture. And uh, it's performing well in gaming since the, the overall latency is low. The intercore latency is very low. So it's normal that the, the game that is more uh, single-threaded, so it will benefit from that. I'm looking at some of my other questions here that I have to talk with you about. It seems like we've covered a lot of these. I mean... I, I see. I, I have one question is we already talked about what you expected over Zen one, but, and then I was going to ask what you expected out of Zen two, but if I had to guess you expected Zen two to be incredibly good, right? No, uh, no, no, you didn't. You thought it would be a disaster. No, I didn't know. I was a bit uh, with my feet on the ground. I mean, uh, I knew that was like, um, some sort of um, frequency, at least 200 mm -hmm. megahertz. People was again, Five gigas this year we have the five gigas. No, I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting a two hundred megas something like this. Uh, what I didn't expect was the cache. Mm -hmm. That was a very nice trick, and I was expecting that. I was expecting a bit more frequency. I didn't expect the, um, the FTLK, so the things from the clock separated that we can tune. I wasn't expecting that. I was expecting an overall IPC improvement and a bit of more frequency. But I was expecting something that was able to to get close to the 9th mm -hmm. chain Intel, but mm -hmm. nothing more than that. But instead, I got surprised by the cache. And in some games, like World of Warcraft, the Zen 2 have an incredibly high lows. Sorry for the, <laughs> the joke, but uh, the low frame rate average mm -hmm. now is much higher than Intel 9th generation. And I have mm -hmm. to come talk about that with the... 10 generation, which is uh, different. But uh, they did a, a good thing. I mean, I saw that uh, MD was able to really take an ace up, out of the sleeves and, and show that uh, it's not, they, they just uh, didn't raise the frequency. They did so much more. They did the cache, they did mm -hmm. the, the FCAK. So they, they really worked a lot around that architecture. It's not a simple reflash. No, not that, at all. I, actually, this is interesting. Uh, Dermige has a question for you. He says, giving some insight into FCLK overclocking. So basically, he, goes, he asks, what FCLK clock do you think you would need to get to to fully utilize Zen 2 at 5 gigahertz? I don't know. I mean, you're basically guessing, but... It's a very nice question. Since, uh, well... I should, something that I probably should do, but I don't have enough time, <laughs> as always. My channel is my hobby, so I have a normal work. Right. I have a lot of things about. Something that I want to try to do is to do a CLK scaling and frequency scaling using extreme cooling. So 
uh, to see uh, how much we need FCLK to 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 able to add to have an improvement at five gigas. But uh, it's something that is hard to to answer. Since probably because even if I clock the CPU at four point something, sure, and I and I and I clock the, the FCLK at nineteen hundred uh, megahertz, I see scaling. So right already. A lot. So probably they need, uh, I don't know, 2.5 gigahertz. Uh, Before the frequency is the next thing to work yeah, on. A lot. But Yeah, uh, yeah that's a good yeah, point. We saw that even if you raise the, the, the FCLK at 5 gigahertz, probably mm-hmm. it's not that, even another, we but next by another thing that we saw with the 3300X, uh, mm-hmm. that going for monolithic chip, that was a nice thing. I wasn't mm-hmm. expecting that. I, was, no. I wasn't really expecting that. There's a rumor that Renoir is at 2000 megahertz FCLK stock already, which would explain why it, because I mean, you look at Renoir and you're like, okay, it's Zen too, but it has a fourth the cache, yet it doesn't seem to have lower IPC than what's on desktop. It seems like the fact that it has a, a monolithic design, it's still two CCXs, but they are monolithic. And the fact that the FCLK seems to be at stock faster than what we can get to on desktop. It seems to have entirely eliminated the need for four times the cash. And I mean, I mean that's double true in the 3300X, right? Yeah, yeah. CLK is very important. So I think before talking about 5 gigahertz on, on Zen, we have to talk about FCLK, you have to talk about a monolithic CCX, like an 8-core with 32 megabyte of cache in the same block uh, I think we have to talk about that before going to talk about five gigas. Now, I guess yeah. Let's let let's talk about this. A lot of people are using are starting. Well, we've been speculating about Zen three forever, but like starting to really get excited about what performance increases we could get because if you compare the thirty three hundred X to the thirty one hundred, you're. I mean, I've seen. At same clock speed, sometimes the difference is 15%. And the rumors are Zen 3 has 15% higher IPC than Zen 2. I mean, I, I don't know if you have any thoughts on what you expect out of Zen 3 now that it's moving to a unified 8-core CCX, one CCX per CCD that supposedly will just keep the same amount of cash in an entirely unified design. Yes, I think, well... Uh, if you think that in some games, uh, when I when I did the review of the 3300X, I saw that uh, sometimes the 3300X was uh, outperforming the 3800X, yeah. even the 9900K. So uh, that was nice. And if I think that small chip with double the core, double the cache, and everything, it, it might be actually a very nice CPU. To speculate, I think AMD will, as they did before, will do more than that. So I'm expecting some magic trick that they pull mm-hmm. out this time. So something that nobody is expecting, like the cache in Zen 2 uh, and the monolithic CCX in the x So I'm expecting some kind of sorcery trick from AMD in, in Zen 3. Uh, so yes, uh, single CCX. Uh, so this time you're finally five. excited. You're finally yes. sure AMD will do well this time. <laughs> yeah, probably they, I'm expecting some magic trick. So... If they don't, I would be disappointed. So, because yeah. they prove that. I mean, yeah, I every certainly time would be too. Yeah. But I mean, if, if they don't, by going monolithic with the CCX and a slightly higher uh, 
IPC, uh, sorry, uh, FCK, just to have like a 400 megahertz, uh, 4 gigahertz, megahertz, uh, 4 gigahertz uh, memory. Mm-hmm. And uh, the monolithic, it will be a very nice chip. So very competitive. It's something that can actually compete in the high frequency gaming, like Intel probably. Yeah. So even if they don't do the magic trick, it will be an ICPO. If they do the extra mile, well, okay. Yeah. Yeah, I have two big things I've been thinking of for Zen 3 right now. Um, We've seen a lot of mixed numbers from leaks about what IPC to expect. You know, you'll see something like 10 to 15%, then we saw 17%, and we've seen over 20. I really think it's going to be what we're talking about now. It depends on the use case, how many cores are being used, and what clock speed, because I suspect, and this is conjecture, I have no inside source about this, that when they say 10% IPC, that's probably at like, I don't know, three to four, like three gigahertz to four gigahertz for Epic with like, you know, a certain amount of cores at a varied amount of usage. And then when they say 20% IPC, perhaps finally it will actually get a lot of scaling with clock speed. And I think what you're going to see is if you're running it at lower clock speeds with smaller core counts, it's 10%. But if you have a bunch of cores clocked higher, it's wasting much less of its potential. That, that's personally what I expect out of Zen 3. And if that happens, you know, I know everyone right now thinks Zen 2 is going to be the biggest one ever. I, I, I really think Zen 3 might end up being something comparable to Sandy Bridge, where at launch people said, oh, this isn't as big of a deal as Nehalem. Or, but then they look back and go, oh no, now it's remembered as the ultimate everything chip. Because because yeah. I think that is a pretty direct comparison. It's not increasing core counts, but bringing another 20% performance across the board with lower efficiency and eliminating basically any argument for getting Intel is what people will remember, even if the other ones were more revolutionary. Yeah, I don't I know if you have any thoughts this. on that. Yeah, no, I, I agree with this. Since, uh, I think also that probably Zen 3, they will finally fix some minor bugs or uh, mm-hmm. something that wasn't working perfectly. Probably they will fix the boost since now, the Zen 2, the PBO and Auto-C doesn't really work well on all the motherboards. Sometimes it doesn't even work at all. So mm-hmm. probably with Zen 3, they will consolidate the boost or they will do something like the PBO working again or the auto-overclock working better. So probably we will see something like that. Maybe we can reach 5 gigahertz on single core, I don't know, but they will probably do something like this. Optimizing the, uh, I think it's entry like a, not a, a revolution, mm-hmm. but something that is finally consolidated and strong, a strong architecture because it's like four years of them. And mm-hmm. the Zen 3 will be like the, the, the final one. Something mm-hmm. that's like the, the Intel now. After many years, uh, they refine the architecture, they fix the bug and something that is more stable. Yeah, like the, removing the, the final weaknesses, right? Yeah, exactly. Uh, yes, I think that, I hope that we'd be like this. Mm-hmm. Um, this is an interesting question. Saken Chicken Man asks, do you think RAM speed will be less important with Zen 3? I mean, I suppose this is a guess, but... No, absolutely not. RAM speed is important even in, in Intel now. Some people... Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Like, not uh, like uh, the AMD, because sometimes if you can, I mean, Intel is uh, is a good architect. So that if if you run like a super cheap memory, like twenty four hundred megahertz, in some application, can run 
nicely, even if you are, if you use cheap memory. So in mm-hmm. some application, but in like in high refresh rate gaming, if you put like a 4.4 gigas RAM speed, you wish like 20 FPS more. So it's yes. case. And in Zen 3, we'll case because RAM is important at the end. It's one, uh, it's one ring of the chain. So you have to, to be balanced at least. Mm-hmm. So RAM will, will be always important but to answer the question specifically. Yeah, I think it was always important, just underestimated and how important it was because people weren't testing correctly. Like there were some games like Fallout 4 the whole time and Battlefield 3 and Battlefield 4, where if you use really fast memory, even with the 6700K, you could increase performance by like 20, 30%. And this was years ago. And I think people just didn't test it properly. You know, one reason why I start my channel is because it was the launch of the first APU of uh, mm-hmm. Family, so the 2200G mm-hmm. and the 2400G. And uh, I didn't have a channel back there. I was only doing you know, talking and all my stuff privately. And I saw a lot of reviewers that was testing that APU, this is a budget uh, CPU, with really cheap memory, like mm-hmm. 2400 megas, 2600 megas. This is, it kind of makes sense. If you buy this CPU to as only to use the, the integrated GPU, it makes sense to buy cheap components to mm-hmm. build a cheap, uh, uh, a cheap build. But at the time, I was testing the CPU because I always, even if I, if I didn't have the channel back there, uh, I always buy the CPU to test it to overclocking and that kind of mm-hmm. stuff. And I saw in my test that increasing the memory speed and optimizing the timing, the game was huge. I mean, what the people in, in uh, I saw some reviewers in, in YouTube that was it was saying, yeah, well, it's not so good. I have to lower the resolution at 720p to play at the medium detail. Mm-hmm. But with tuned memory, I was playing at 1080p, medium mm-hmm. or something a bit more. The same chip, but I was playing like double the resolution. And then I said, well, why people doesn't really tell the world that if you tweak a bit the memory and if you buy the right stick, it can overclock a lot. You spend the same and you have double the performance. And that's why I opened the channel. So I start, I start talking about that, and I saw people was reacting nicely. Say, oh, thank you, thank you. Now I, I gain a lot of performance. I can, I, I don't need a, to buy a, a discrete graphics. And that's yeah. like how I start my channel. And a lot of people, or a lot of tech tubers, because you see that all the time. People say, why didn't you use faster memory? And their answer usually is oh, because this is a budget chip and we're not getting crazy expensive RAM. But for me, that argument's never made sense because like the difference between, as you say, 2,400 megahertz to 3,000 is usually like $10. It's usually like a $10 difference. And all these kits can usually overclock by like 20, 30% anyways. Exactly. And then if you have to spend like $20 in a memory stick that will last a lot in various builds, and you, you save 120 mm-hmm. by a discrete graphics card, means a big deal. Yeah, and I mean, you'll be able to use that. I mean, my, again, my RAM sticks, they were 3200 megahertz with, I don't remember CL. I don't actually even remember what stock is, I don't think. Um, and I overclocked it, though, from 3200 to like 3600 megahertz, and I tightened the timings by like 30%, and that was... They've been running for four years at 1.4 yeah. volts or something. It's it's just it's just not an issue. It's and that's the thing with RAM too is unlike overclocking a graphics card or CPU, it's just kind of like 
there. Either it works at this speed or it doesn't. It's like you find a voltage where it doesn't crash and then, or doesn't damage your components. And then whatever you get to, it doesn't typically get much hotter in a desktop or use really any notable amount more energy. So you can it, safely. You exactly. Can safely. And if, uh, like with the APU, the memory is your VRAM. Mm-hmm. It's very important. So, and, but you can do it in total safety. And, and something that I did in one of my last video review of the 3300X, Mm-hmm. It was a bit provocative, like the title and uh, the thumbnail. Uh, since, uh, again, I saw a viewer that was using uh, sometimes expensive kits, like uh, 3200, uh, yeah, 32 gigabytes of kits, so very expensive memory <laughs> with this tiny chip, and, but at XMP. And I said, why? Why? Or like uh, other kit that uh, is an old kit that have zero overclocking potential, uh, at XMP, when you can buy like a kit of ballistics for like $5 less and you can crank it up to 1900 megahertz. Mm-hmm. And I saw that and, and, I, and I based my review on that. It was a bit provocative. I know that maybe probably I shouldn't have be, you know, that, uh, that message. But I Aggressive I maybe, but... That. Yeah, but uh, I mean, it's free. I mean, if you have to, to buy a memory kit and you buy the right one, you, like, you, you spend the same or you save money buying the right memory kit and you have like 10, 20% more. So it's free. I'm not advising people to buy expensive stuff. Just no. To buy it right. Right. And, and why are you are using you 32 gigabytes, right? No one buys 32 gigabytes in a budget system. And yet you exactly. tell me I can't use fast so memory. You spend like $300 mm-hmm. on a 32 gigabyte kit at the 3200 megahertz XMP that will perform much slower than a kit that costs $80. Yeah. I, I did. And when I see something like this, I, I ask myself, why? So if you are a reviewer, you should be able to test everything and you to advise to your audience what is best. So you have to test the good and the bad. And then you say, here, if you, if you do like this, you gain this for free. Or if you don't, it's like this. But at least you, you give the option to, to your audience and you keep mm-hmm. them informed. That, if, they, if they want to do it or not, okay. But at least you give the option. But if you show... Uh, an expensive kit with a cheap CPU tuned that is not well tuned, I mean, it doesn't make sense. So we're kind of touching on it or dancing around this subject already. I mean, what do you think about benchmarking systems for reviewing different components? Because it's typically, if you're reviewing a CPU, they'll use, I mean, I remember some websites that were using Titan Volta for a while to benchmark CPUs. Or they'll use, you know, like a 300-watt custom liquid cooling, you know, kit that's the the liquid cooling reservoir is the size of my entire PC case. And they're using that to test a graphics card that costs $200. Like, where do you think, what do you think should be used to balance components? Should the components cost a similar amount? Or do you think both or they should just use God-tier components to test a budget GPU? I can tell you what I do. What I do is like, uh, let's say the 3300X, something that I do and I'm still doing since I didn't complete my next video. Uh, I'm going to try that CPU in the best environment I can. And even mm-hmm. if doing a similar clock, so I'm going to overclock that small chip to 5 gigahertz. But that's just for scientific purpose to see the limit, to show people the limit. Okay, this CPU in the right environment with everything is right can do this. And mm-hmm. compare to the top to see how that architecture 
is advancing, how it can it can overclock. So I put the, the, the first the, the CPU in the ideal scenario and compare to the other CPU as well in the ideal scenario. And that is one video. And then um, that I did. And now I'm working on the CPU put into the context. So mm-hmm. uh, in a podcast, you can see me now, but in the possible they can see. Yeah, I have a system here. You have a system that, behind uh, you, yeah. Yeah. This is a cheap build. So it's a $50 case with a $60 motherboard, uh, a $30 memory kit from Ballistic, then uh, another one that is $80. So a very cheap uh, build with that CPU. So I want to put that CPU into the context. So if I'm a user that I buy that CPU, I will pair it with this memory kit, with this graphics card. So I want to put that CPU into the context and show the people what it should be look like a build like this. So I want to show mm-hmm. them everything that they they can achieve with the ideal. So to see, even when they push it to, to, to the small build, to compare, even if, mm-hmm. uh, if because sometimes if you, this system that uh, I'm testing now is a very cheap system, but the performance is amazing. And mm-hmm. it's like $500 build that then if you compare to, to the best system that costs three times or four times, oh, yeah. it's just maybe 20% lower. Well, yeah, I, I, yeah. I do the, both of the review, the, the ideal one and the one that's put into the context. Yeah, that, that's getting more and more crazy in my opinion too. I mean, because you'll see some people say, oh, well, spending more money has always had diminishing returns. And it's like, no, it hasn't always had this type of diminishing returns. I mean, I remember, again, you know, the thing I usually compare is like the 7970 generation. It's like 7970 gigahertz was, let's say, $600 at high, usually 500, but let's say 600 even. Um, how much stronger is it than, I don't know, it's about double a 7850. So the 7850 was around 250, 300. Okay, so you're spending more than twice as much, but you're getting you're getting almost double the performance. And then, like you know, the very tippy top one would be maybe maybe there'd be some special liquid cooled six gigabyte version, you know, that's like eight hundred dollars. And so, yeah, maybe then you're spending thirty percent more for ten percent more performance. But when I look at the difference now, again, as I touch on with the CPUs for the GPUs, it's also starting to get about about that ridiculous, in my opinion, as well, where it's like. I mean, like to use your example, you're spending three times as much for a 2080 Ti versus a 5700 XT. It's like 35% better, 3540 maybe. Yes, yes. If you think now the price of the motherboard, there are motherboards that cost 1000 oh, And yeah. with 1000 I can build a system. I mean, yes. And you're playing crazy. the same games. Yeah. And maybe with a 60-year monitor or... Well, Here's a kind of a random question. Andrew Martin writes in and he says, how is IPC improved typically? What do you think Intel is doing differently? Because they were only bringing about 5 to 10% IPC increases for years. And all of a sudden, Ice Lake's brought a 20% almost. And Willow Cove supposedly going to bring another 10. And Golden Cove supposed to bring another 20. Do you have any thoughts on what's changed? Yeah, I mean, over time, Intel was leading and is still leading in the high refresh rate gaming. Mm-hmm. Uh, not anymore in the application, but in the high refresh rate gaming, where IPC usually is needed most, they didn't have to do big improvements since they were leading. When you lead the market, you you do whatever you want, and the others will follow. So you don't have to play the best card every year. You wait. And it's normal. I mean, the 
they are not like uh, competitive with themselves. Mm-hmm. They can't do that. Now that they have Zen Free, that is supposedly uh, giving a big boost, they, they start to, to push the roadmap a bit. So maybe with the mesh, they're going to, to fix some of the issues that they have with the, with the ring, increasing the core, and, or maybe they, they are doing some, I don't know, uh, more engineering, than using the massive R&D to, to fine-tune the architecture to, to gain mm-hmm. uh, IPC, optimizing the memory controller. If we think about uh, something that I want to point out that I recently tested Intel 10 generations, so the 10700K, of mm-hmm. the name, by the way, <laughs> and I saw that, uh, again, in World of Warcraft, the 1900K uh, was having nice uh, average, but really bad lows. So sometimes mm-hmm. dipping at uh, 60 FPS. The, the 10700K, which basically should be the same. Situation. Should be the same, yeah. On, on paper. But I think they fixed some I don't know, probably security mitigation. I was going to say, I would guess security yeah. mitigations. Now, now, in the same game, same test, uh, everything, the lows are over 100, even mm-hmm. higher than, than two. So Interesting. The same two on paper, but in the same game, they, they, they are performing, I, I, they get like a four, uh, 40% improvement in the, in the lows area. Wow. 30 to 40% from uh, 55, 60 FPS to 100. And it's massive. And I, and I think about why? On paper, it's the same CPU. And mm-hmm. talking with a, with a user of, of my Reddit, was pointing out that actually it might be the hardware mitigation. Since uh, over the time, better Macdown, Macdown, uh, over the year, they had, they had a lot of issues. So Intel have their own bug. <laughs> yeah, yeah the they've had a different and issue every month for a while. Exactly. So security was, is a thing and is a big thing. And probably using that uh, hardware mitigation, they, they, I mean, they, they restored the performance that was years ago. Since Intel mm-hmm. was losing performance over the year. Software and uh, with the microcode in the BIOS. So now that they don't need those uh, workarounds and they put that into, into the hardware, they will probably gain... Uh, Gain IPC, gain performance. I saw that in the or regain what they used to have. Regain exactly. So regain. Th- that always the, frustrates me. Became... By the way, when people say, "Oh, security vulnerabilities don't matter," it's like, no. I had a sixty-seven hundred K, and there were some Windows updates or game updates where all of a sudden I was getting twenty percent lower performance in Battlefield Five, and then another update would come and it went back up. And I'm like, oh, well, they found a way to do it that didn't hurt performance as much. Like, I can assure you guys that they are patching these in the games directly and in Windows updates, and they will push these in Windows updates because they don't want to be sued because their OS is insecure. They will remove performance on these older processors because of the vulnerabilities. It really does matter. If you think now, 2% now, uh, 3% in five months, Five percent in six months. In two, three years, you lose twenty percent. Really? Yeah, you don't you don't feel it because it's like a, it's like doing a mortgage. Uh, slowly, they they, <laughs> they they cut your performance at the point that uh, after two years, you have like twenty percent less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Going back to ice, like one thing I will say is I think Intel. This is a theory I have, too, about why they had such little IPC gains for a while. I mean, first of all, they were stuck on 14 nanometer. 
But they were able to make, they had plans, real plans on their roadmap to have some 10 nanometer chips in like 2016, 2017. And so while they could never mass manufacture them, they were making engineering samples for five years now on uh, 10 nanometer. It just never could get past like 0.01% yields until recently. And so they had Ice Lake sitting there with that 20% IPC increase. And it did work in like 10 chips they could make a year. And so that was their trump card. They knew they could play if AMD ever came to market. The problem is because their 10 nanometer never got working on, on time, they haven't been able to play their trump card until frankly, Zen 3's out. And by then it's already too late. At least that's how I would answer that. That's our theory though. I don't know for sure, but that's kind of how I think about their IPC gains is they just weren't focusing on it. And they knew they had these things they could do as long as they got to 10 nanometer by 2018. And then it turned out, oh no, we're not getting there till 2020. Yeah, maybe there's some um, cost factor. No, because if you push too much of the technology, you have to pay more for that in the market. Right. Pays. So it's more like an economic, a business issue than an engineering issue. They'd rather so, buy McAfee yeah. for $7 billion than... <laughs> Invest in their fabs directly. That was a real good spend of money back then. Well, that's another another interesting topic, yes. But probably, I don't know, I think uh, they still lead in the market and to do a 20% IPC improvement, they have to invest a lot more and losing a lot of margin building chip that are difficult to produce. Probably they they, they did the math and they say, no, it's not worth it. So now with MP on the rise, who knows? Yeah, I don't think they're going to be holding back at all. I mean, I mean, again, I, I had some information late last year that they were looking to get to a 50% IPC increase for Golden Cove over Skylake. Now, that's not one generation. That's, you know, 1.2 times 1.1 times 1.2. And eventually you get to just substantially better. And it sounds like they may try to get Ocean Cove to be another 20% above that. I certainly hope so, because, I mean, if we get to 80% higher IPC than Skylake in 2023, I mean... Uh, 240 hertz gaming is here. Like it's, <laughs> it'll be very yeah. easy to do, assuming you have a graphics card that's powerful enough. Yeah, exactly. So I have a few other things, but I think I would save them for other reader mails. I don't know that they're actually specific here. Um, I don't know, I guess, well, I'll, I'll touch on this. Nils writes in and he says, do you think multi-chip CPU design will reasonably negate the latency issues inherent in splitting up core each core? or from their memory controller before we see CPUs change over to 3D or 2.5D stacking methods? Well, I, I think we actually kind of already answered that with Zen 3. Yeah, because I don't think they will separate uh, IMC mm-hmm. cores because they saw that if you connect more things to the Infinity Fabric, you generate intercore latency. So I don't think they will... They are doing exactly the opposite. So they are mm. going a bit monolithic, maintaining the scalability of the Infinity Fabric, but keeping the core and the cache in the same same spot. So no, I don't think they will. They're going to to split again memory controllers and cores, and it won't work. Just no, I think they're going to continue on the path they're on. Yeah, I mean, probably what they should do is like make a, a gaming series CPU with monolithic CCX. And a productivity series with, uh, I don't know, three CCX, four CCX, uh, or, or no, CCD, or more CCD with 
I don't know, six, 16 cores or something like this. Maybe something that entered into the Threadripper line, so something more for productivity, and a, and a line for gaming. That would make sense. If with, uh, with an 8-core, a low latency, you would game, I mean, for years. Yeah, I think that actually touches on something that a lot of people may not consider, and that's that when AMD was mo- designing Zen 2, they didn't know how good the 7 nanometer yields would be. They would have, I mean, it took forever. It took forever for us to go from 28 nanometer to 16 and 14. So I would assume when AMD was designing Zen 2, you know, splitting up the IO die, they were like, we expect horrible yields on 7 nanometer. But if we can make these tiny seven, 70 millimeter squared chips, it won't matter because we can glue them together. And then at launch, they were already at 70% yields. And we know TSMC's almost to 100% yields on 7 nanometer by now. And 5 nanometer supposedly already going to launch at about 85% yields, which is something AMD didn't really account for. I think that's why you see this really novel AM4 design where they can put two core chiplets in an I.O. die because they were planning to have to do that a lot. And yet most of their lineup only uses one core chiplet. Moving forward with the knowledge that I guess TSMC has solved Moore's Law again, maybe they will do that, you know, a separate gaming lineup, because that's a trump card they haven't even tried playing against Intel yet, is they're basically selling a compute, you know, professional architecture to gamers just because of how good it is. If they were to actually put together like a unified monolithic die, not just Zen 3, but putting it all together, I don't know. I think that could be devastating if they brought that out. And I think as well, I think they, they need to to go a bit monolithic. Since uh, I saw, but with thermal testing, the 7 nanometers, that the die is so small that mm-hmm. actually have difficulty to, to transfer the heat to the IHS yes. and then to... To the to the cooler. Since I saw a very small difference between the stock cooler and a custom loop, because sometimes uh, even if you have the custom loop, the die will get hot and can mm-hmm. transfer all the heat. So if you you go like a, with small, let's say five nanometers, small two cores or four core dies, it, you you cannot dissipate that. So it's too tiny. So probably mm-hmm. they they need to 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 probably the five nanometer will be like a one. CCX of 60 core. Mm-hmm. I, I'm expecting this because they cannot make the dice too small. They, they, they are not able to dissipate the heat generated. So they probably yeah. keep the same size and doubling the core inside, but with the same size. It's yeah, a lot of pe- some people are are suggesting that too that they expect Zen Four to switch to a 16 core uh, chiplet. And uh, right now, what you'll see in the WCCF tech comments is nothing but you're an idiot. There's no way they're going to do that so soon. And I, I mean, I don't really have an opinion either way. I think that what you just said is a good reason for why they might actually do that sooner than you would think. And it's it's easy to just put one 16-core chiplet and an I.O. die. And then if they want to make it 32, they can just do that instead of doing three I different core chiplets. More efficient because if the, I mean, the, the core peak, uh, temperature is spiking, you lose stability, and you cannot mm-hmm. push to the uh, magic 5 gigahertz even if, if you add it, because the, the, the inside temperature inside the, the die is too hot, so you, you have to keep it low. Otherwise, it would be like nuclear reactor. But well, you, you cannot transfer it outside. 
supposedly they're going to 3D stacking as well. So that's that's a whole other can of we don't even yeah. really know what they're going to end up doing. It could be, it could, I mean, for all we know, it could just be one 16 core core chiplet, an IO die, and then HBM, and then like an IO controller, and then mm-hmm. all this other stuff stacked. And they really only use one chiplet. And then except they might have one version that has two chiplets and no HBM or L4 cache built onto the side of it. I mean, really the sky's the limit. Although it is all going to come down to cooling because 3D stacking is a nightmare to cool. Yeah, I would like to know how they cool it. So, but we were talking about more like sci-fi than. <laughs> well, they're talking about printing in copper pipes as they manufacture it. So printing in layers of basically metal copper pipes going through the actual oh, die yeah. itself. Yeah, layers uh, to handle that, I guess. I, I guess we'll just have to see what happens. Uh, I I think there's going to be some teething issues getting to these types of designs. Like Alder Lake may do this as well. And I've heard Meteor Lake is certainly doing very similar stuff to Zen 4. But I think I think it's going to be impressive when it works. But we should anticipate <laughs> some unforeseen problems once. Like there's probably going to be a few like half a, steps. Like a, an integrated water block around the 3D chip. No. Yes. Well, and I mean, certainly... <laughs> You can imagine a world where they might want to have a way of cooling both sides of the motherboard. Supposedly, the PS5 might even do that to cool its design, but we'll have to see. All speculation. I'm getting you know yeah. out of control. Let's go to Vim. Let's go to Vim a bit. So, well, yeah, that that's why I made my channel, just because I was tired of... Well, a similar things to what you say, people who didn't seem to say things that I thought were obvious. But also, I was just like... Isn't it fun, though, to talk about the future without, you know, just just take it as a fun conversation, even though I try to make it as accurate as possible. I mean, I do try to actually predict it. And sometimes it's really accurate. And sometimes sometimes it's wildly incorrect. Like I thought Zen 3 may yeah, actually get SMT4. Like, it's fun. I like to keep the thing really pragmatic and practical. But I like as well to speculate, too, because what I do with the consumer clocking, I'm my try to predict something based on what I find here in, in the bottleneck. Mm-hmm. So it's good to speculate like this. I found this, so they might do that, but with some basis. And it's nice. If, if you if you do this uh, exercise with some, at least some baseline information, you, maybe you can predict something. Because probably the engineers do the same. They saw the bottleneck and they- They're doing this, yeah. And they were. I think they were doing this just to give an example. I we We've seen all these leaked uh, screenshots, CPUZs of these 16 cores at five gigahertz out of AMD labs. I think they, I personally think they had some engineering samples running at five gigahertz, but all of those leaks that were five gigahertz Zen 2 seem to be at like 1.4, 1.5 volts stock, like some insane or like 1.6 volts stock. And I suspect they pushed it as hard as they could. And they're like, okay, well, we've got it running at five gigahertz, it uses 200 watts. And there's a five percent performance gain, and so we're never releasing this. Yeah, that's why proper clocker do. So, uh, before I have various friends that do proper clocking. I mean, they are they are, they are working with the, the motherboard manufacturing, with the, the chip manufacturer to to do exactly that. They mm-hmm. do extreme overclocking. They push the CPU to the limit. They do like a, a scaling test, and they saw that even if you push at a six gigahertz. Uh, you don't have like, you have like seven FPS difference, it's not working. So that's why uh, uh, the external clocking applied to science to, to, to develop R&D is useful. 
to understand that even if you can reach that frequency, it's useless. So you better keep your, your consumption low and lose that uh, 3%. That's why playing with uh, this madness of overclocking sometimes is useful to do R&D. Right, and that's why I discovered your channel because I used your results in several videos for my hypothesis for what's coming as well. And I was just like, I can't believe it took this long to find someone doing this. So I will plug your YouTube channel again, uh, hardware numbers, except it's a three in the E before the R at the end of numbers. Yeah, um, I don't really know how I went <laughs> with that, but it came out of my mind, you know? So I, I will it, keep doing the, this type of test. So I really want to see, I saw that nobody do, and people seems interesting since the, that video of the five gigahertz versus five gigahertz raised a lot of questions and a lot of mm-hmm. Reddit posts, so it generated a lot of a big score. And I saw some people that was uh, in, enjoying the conversation, speculating and discussing about that. So I'm preparing already the, the follow-up and I will keep doing that. So do extreme overclocking, apply it to games or application to see, in fact, uh, what is the difference to do that. Right. So let me ask this. Is there anything else you want to discuss then? I think we've basically covered all of the topics I wanted to get into. We're going for about an hour and a half here. Is there anything else you want to talk about? I mean, we're kind of just following my notes, but anything else? Yeah, I have a question for the, um, for the people that will be listening to us. Uh, it's kind of a final question. Uh, I see many people playing video games for hours to do achievement, you know? Maybe they have like 500 days of video game played, but mm-hmm. they don't want to spend 10 minutes in tuning the memory. Why that? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, I mean, because I do. I always, if I don't overclock for a while, eventually get bored. I, maybe I get bored of my PC not crashing and I say, hey, it hasn't crashed for a few months. I better find a way to make it crash for a while so that I can enjoy the months where it's not crashing. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, I I've seen a lot of people I mean, I, I, I just think some people, I mean, honestly, my answer is I think some people have busy lives and they just want to uh, plug in their game and play, to which I would recommend you just get a console at that point. I don't know why you have a PC if you're not going to play with your big, crazy toy. <laughs> I'm not saying people should get consoles. I'm just saying that, eh, I mean, you know, you've got a PC. I, for me, the entire point of getting one was not just to use it for gaming, uh, use it for things like Thank rendering you. and, you know, but then to play with it, because you can't do that with a console. And I think you get all this expensive components. You should, I don't know. Yeah, like the Lego bricks. The Lego bricks. You, you enjoy building it and tuning it. Well, but is this any different from cars, though, right? I mean, you have people yeah. who can't even tell you what model car they have. And <laughs> I mean, and from my point yeah. of view, it's like, well, how do you not even know? You just spent 20 grand on this car. I do not know <laughs> what's in it. And it's like, well, just look nice and, you know, it works. So that's whatever. Cool. All right. Well, I mean, I guess if that's it, then to be honest, I, uh, things are a little hectic here in the US. I didn't get much sleep last night, but, uh, and then I had a meeting yeah, at 7 a.m. <laughs> So I'm like running on fumes. And I know it's, isn't it, isn't it like almost 2 a.m. where you are right now? Yeah, it's 2 a.m. And my, I have to wake up at 7, 6.30. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. It's pretty much tight here. 
Well, but I, I usually do this time every, every night since uh, the channel is like a second job. You know, I think you know that. Yes, uh, and yeah. I use the channel too. So, uh, my regular work, I usually I ride horses, so I go to ride my horse a bit. I go home, mm. I have dinner, I take the, the dog out, and it's like 11 p.m., and I do like three hours on my dungeon here in the studio for yes. YouTube. I, know I go to sleep at two in, the, 2 in the morning, I wake up at 7. Well, I've noticed your channels growing a little bit more yeah. and more and more lately, which is, I will just tell you, I mean, you're just... I'll just speak for myself. I just end up thinking about my channel more and more and more than my my real job. Although I do have to ask, I'm sorry, you ride horses for your job? No, no, no. This is, you know, this is the second passion I have. Oh, okay. I, I so see. I, I do an office job. I have an office job, but um, my lifelong passion is uh, the horses. So we have five. And after, after, after the office, we go there, we spend three, three hours there. Riding, cleaning, and you know, outdoor stuff, and it's quite relaxing, I have to say. And then I go back and I do my tech stuff. So I, I'm a bit of the extreme. So extremely tech things and outdoor nature animals. But it's good, so I can compensate. Yeah, yeah. I used to have a lot more hobbies before my channel started getting bigger. I've got to be honest, which is why I'm hoping to eventually do it full time, so I can go back. To doing those other hobbies uh, that I used to do you as well. More. <laughs> yeah, even more. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, you're you are hardware numbers. You'll we'll put your links in the description. I, I mean, I I I just want to thank you again for coming on, and then also for doing the testing. I can't believe no one else has been doing this whole time. I mean, it's not really something I'm gonna do, but someone has got to do. Something besides the same test, everyone keeps doing the exact same test. And that's why I really do appreciate your channel quite a bit. So I do think people should subscribe. And I do appreciate this talk because it's fun to, to, to talk about technology, speculate, to throw in, you know, brainstorming, it's really nice. And I will keep doing the test so you can, if you can do another podcast like this with more results, uh, even better. So you can expect from me more results. Yeah, I don't know when it would be, but for sure, especially if you ever get into like Zen, which I, I mean, I, we know you will get into Zen three testing and Rocket Lake yeah, testing. The, we will, we will definitely do it again. Finding whatever weird, um, I don't know, intricacies and tricks there are with the newer architectures as well. Because I suspect people listening to this, there's a lot of things they didn't know they could have been doing with Zen two and even well, the Skylake derivative architectures that now they know. Were tricks the whole time. I will find it since you know when I do a similar clocking for competition, you have to find every trick you have. So if there's something new, I will find out and I will test uh, in an extreme way. <laughs> well, I, I look forward to it. I've got to uh, see how much longer I can stay awake before collapsing. Uh, I want to thank you for coming on. Enjoy the office job, uh, the horse riding, and the overclocking. Then I will. I will. Thank you so much for uh, for having me in your show. All right. No problem, man. Bye. Bye. Bye-bye. The following podcast was brought to you by the YouTube channel and website, Moore's Law is Dead. Moore's Law is Dead and Broken Silicon are trademarks of their creator, Tom. That guy is me, and I am indeed the creator, editor, writer, and showrunner of Moore's Law is Dead podcast, videos, articles, and other media. However, Moore's Law is Dead is a team with Broken Silicon co-hosted by my brother, Dan, audio editing by Gerard Cortez, 
and select technical editing by Carbon Cry. You can find all of our information, including how to get a hold of us, at www.moreslawsdead.com. And if you are a fan and would like to send mail or other hardware, please mail parcels to Moore's Laws Dead, P.O. Box 10468, Peoria, Illinois, 61612. And speaking of fans, without exaggeration, the patrons are solely responsible for the continued distribution of the content you just listened to. And so if you have some extra money, but only if you do, please consider supporting us. For just $2 a month, you get access to the exclusive podcast, Die Shrink, voting on subjects of future podcast episodes, the ability to have your questions read aloud on Broken Silicon, Die Shrink, and Loose Ends, and of course, the Moore's Law is Dead Discord, full of like-minded people who would love to meet you. I am one of them. The Discord is only at $1, and at higher tiers, you get access to ad-free episodes of Broken Silicon, the back catalog of Flyover States podcast, thanks in the credits of videos and podcasts and other perks as well. And if you cannot afford to support us, please just share Moore's Laws Dead videos and podcasts with friends and family on social media and Reddit. And give Broken Silicon and Flyover States a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. All of this really does help so much more than I think anyone realizes. If you'd like to advertise on the podcast or a person of interest who would like to be a guest, please reach out to the email address mlhbdead at gmail.com. But as I said, this podcast would not be possible without its fans supporting it. And so now it is time to give a personal thanks to the greatest of the fans. The following supporters are at the 10 gigahertz or higher producer levels. Bootman, Carbon Cry, Dean, Benny Berlin, Justin Yant, Thomas Rupp, I Love You Lemon Jim, Jet Bollocks, Jordan Betcher, Muhammad Alkwari, Frederick Lau, James Crasta, Justin Parrish, Zachary Martin, Terrence Herod, Brad Medlin, Phil S., Thyrister, the Ninth Dude, Greg Renegar, John Bible, Chrysantine, Night Rogue 77, The Mechanical Philosopher, Lebo King Kilo, Fatboy Diesel, Daniel Hyde, Matthew McMullan, Christoph Novak, Neil X01, Matt Salem, Aaron Close, Sexy, VI Pass, Sadler Sadler, Richter Cohagon, Alethros, Telos, Kaden Picknell, Greg T. Wanchuk, Jacob Barber, Xoti, Wani Kierbear, Matthew Lane, Paul Jones, Jan Rauner, Rubber Ducks, Edward Huff, Allie Robertson, Hardforum.com, Jonathan, Drita Full, Ev- Evan Dingle, Nick Neasy, Dominic Stewart, Harold P. Bureau, Wayne, Sam MacArthur, Total Silo, TSPCFS, Michael Costa, Andrew S., Blake, Aaron Keith, AJ Klein, Endless Loggins, Hector Santana, Justin Brennan, Archon971, Trevor Powers, Garrick Scholl, Alinia, Joshua Stavenis, Daniel Nishbal, Gob, or should I say Joe, and Hardware Numbers himself. And of course, thank you to Sahara for the music. <laughs> <laughs>